For many years, I've avoided thinking of Christmas in terms of Father Christmas. The jolly character presented to us as living in the North Pole with a herd of reindeer, little elves, making toys for children who are good. Well, that's just one of the many stories that are told about a man who tells us to be good. Well, this year I asked myself the question, why do you avoid Father Christmas? Hmm. Why do I avoid Father Christmas? Essentially having nothing to do with him. Well, my first answer to that question is a story my wife told me. My wife shared with me an experience as a child when her parents told her that Father Christmas filled the stockings that were there on Christmas Day. The excited children. We had a few in our home today. They couldn't wait, could they? All right, the eyes back there? Yeah, I know. And my wife said she got up and there were the stockings. But one year she discovered it wasn't Father Christmas. It was her dad. And she felt impacted by the fact that her parents did not tell her the truth, but deceived her about this character. Immediately I thought, isn't that just like Satan, you know, who hides behind every lie, you know? If you've told a lie, actually Satan put the lie there for you to tell and you went along with it and you told it. And let me tell you, there are all of us here who think we know something when we've been listening to the wrong voice. And Satan hides behind these lies, but he gets other people to take the blame for what he constructed. All those parents that have deceived their children and lied to them and left an impression that mums and dads lie to their kids. That is definitely not the way forward. Of course, we're all guilty when we agree with Satan. And perhaps we shouldn't be surprised, actually, at this. You know, the reality that Satan has constructed a false picture of Father Christmas. His design is to get us to believe something false about Father, the Father of Christmas. Well, I shouldn't be surprised. He calls himself Santa, I think if you swap those letters around, you get a different, a different emphasis, don't you? S-A-N-T-A, S-A-T-A-N. Oh, Santa Claus. You know the song? You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why Santa Claus is coming to town. He'd probably be in the shopping centre and they're singing that tune around. He's making a list and checking it twice. Gonna find out who's naughty and nice. 
Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good, for goodness sake. You better watch out. You better not cry, better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. Satan is coming to town. Yeah. And what does Satan tell us about ourselves? Well, you know, the song song that we just heard there, it sounds good, rings through the shopping centres and sadly, like every jingle, it gets stuck in your mind, doesn't it? You know, as I was going through this, I started singing Santa Claus and I could stop singing it. That's what jingles do. That's what the advertisers know all about. But it contains one of the most dangerous lies Satan has ever constructed. Listen to this. To enslave his subjects. Be good, for goodness sake. It doesn't sound like a lie. Try harder. You can be good if you just try harder. And the lie behind it, of course, is this. You can be good because you are good. When the truth is, you aren't good. You aren't good and you can't be good. You are sinful and you have a sinful nature. And where did you get this nature from? Your father. Your earthly father. When he joined with his wife and conceived you, gave you a sinful nature. Thanks, Dad. You were born sinful. And Santa Claus with be good for goodness sake is the message of every other religion in this world other than the message we're going to hear today. Every religion tells you you need to be good. Well, let's look at Christmas. What is Christmas all about? It's actually about another father who sees our sinful condition and has a way to restore us to himself so that our very nature is changed. This father so loved the world so loves you and me in our sinful state, believing all the lies that Satan has brought to us, that he gave his only son, he freely gives up the one who is closest to him. This is the kind of father. His own son, so that you and I can be adopted into his family. Jesus, who he sends to save us from our sins, 
wants each of us to know his father. This is the passion of Jesus. This is what drives Jesus to the cross. He wants you and me to have a new father. You know, all his teaching, when you pray, say, Father. The story of the father and the two sons, which is the one that discovers the joy and the wonder of being truly a son. The one who's rotten and who knows he's rotten. The one who thinks he's good misses out altogether. All his miracles of healing, provision, deliverance are there for you and me to show us the kind of father he wants you to have to heal you. You know, I'm sitting in front of or standing in front of a whole lot of people. I don't know all your wounds, but I can assure you of this, you've got them. And there's only one person who can heal you of those wounds. And it's your heavenly father. You've got wounds, you've got even evil forces controlling your thinking. Deliverance, you need to be set free. And Jesus knows. But also... You need to know a father who's going to provide for you. Now, I've got my earthly children here, and I can assure you this dad is not going to provide for you, I'm sorry. But there's another father, and he will provide everything you need. Finally, the death of Jesus on a cross... What is it for? It's to introduce you to a new father. Jesus speaks to a religious man who asks him the question about, you know, we know you're a teacher sent from God. He says to him straight off, you must be born again. You must be born again. You need a new father, Nicodemus. You know, I'm fascinated having preached and read and studied the Bible for so many years. It's so amazing. The Old Testament ends with a fascinating text of Scripture. Listen to this. This is the end. This is the conclusion of the whole Old Testament. Two verses. It ends the Old Testament, and these are the words. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet... Before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, before the judgment that God is going to bring upon this world, you know, he brought it on to the days of Noah, and Jesus said, it's be like the days of Noah. He's going to judge. Before that day comes, he's going to send the prophet Elijah, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children. And children... To their fathers, 
lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. The Old Testament ends with an instruction about the need for earthly fathers to turn to their children and children to turn to their fathers. Not their mothers, their fathers. Why is this? The whole Old Testament lays the foundation for this. Because the New Testament is the message of receiving a new father. What does it mean to turn the hearts of fathers to their children? Exhorting fathers to get alongside their children. We had a few stories today of fathers uh, getting in the cricket nets and throwing balls or kicking the footy or, or what they did with their kids. Well, I can tell you one thing. My memory of being with my kids is telling them how sinful I have been, right? The rotten things I have done. The sinner I am. And you don't need me to be your father. You need another father. How are you going, dads? You're getting alongside your kids? Or are you sending the message to them, be good? Come on, you can do it. I can remember doing that with my eldest son there. One day outside a cricket ground. And my heavenly father tapped me on the shoulder and said, what are you doing? He knows. I had to say sorry to him because I was putting my expectations onto my children. And let me tell you this, dads, you need to stop doing it. Or where you've done it, you need to say sorry because you're driving your children to do things they were never intended to do. They're trying to live up to their earthly father. You see, the heavenly father has a plan for our life. Once you engage with him, he unfolds to you his plan, not your earthly father's plan. And his plan is way better than any earthly father could ever give you. Turn the hearts of fathers to their children. Earthly fathers need to acknowledge where you've been wrong. I'll never forget at 13 my dad first apologising to me. I've never forgotten it. It laid a foundation for me to come to know Jesus. He wasn't the perfect father. He was a lovely and I thank God for my father. Fathers are trying so hard to get their children to be better than themselves. <laughs> you know, we want our kids to be better than us. Why is that? Because we know actually deep down inside we're sinners. As fathers, we can put pressure on our children, even lead them to pursue a whole life that is never intended. Well, it's just deception. Santa. As fathers, we need to humble ourselves and acknowledge that nothing we can do in our own strength can make our children good. Nothing. They need a new father. Then there's the response of children. It doesn't just say, fathers... Turn to your children. It says, children, turn to your fathers. Why does it say that? 
You know, often as sinners, we have rebelled against the authority that God has placed over us. As sinful children, we justify our rebellion by pointing to the sinfulness of our fathers, you know. It's like with Daniel Andrews. We point, oh, I'm not going to do what Daniel Andrews, look at him doing all these things. We justify our rebellion by pointing to the sin of others. And that's very true of children and their fathers. I had this experience before I became a minister living with my dad for a year. And God took me in hand. Acknowledging where children have rebelled against the one placed in authority over you. So much rebellion on earth relates to this principle. God has placed people over us in authority. All of them. Jesus tells us this. So in summary, Christmas... When Jesus meets Mary after his resurrection, his words are so different to what we might have said. Somebody has written this. We would probably have said, I want you to go to those no good, lousy, sinful, lying, cowardly bunch of traitors who call themselves my disciples and I want you to warn them that I'm giving them one more chance to not mess up. Be good. One more chance then, I'm through with them. That's what he could have said. That's what they deserve to hear. That's probably what we would have said. But no. Instead, he talks about the change in status that has happened as a result of his death and resurrection. He says this, go to my brothers. Go to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my father and your father. This is the heart of Jesus. He is now accomplished, has accomplished what is, makes it possible for you to be a child of God with a new father. The birth, life, death and resurrection of Jesus means that the one whom Jesus called my father loves you exactly as much in exactly the same way as he loves his only begotten son. You're a member of God's family by adoption. Whereas Jesus was his father's only begotten son. And this writer tells us, I speak from personal experience here. I was adopted. I have an older sister who was not adopted. My parents love me every bit as much as they love my older sister. The love was just the same. And so it is with you when you become part of God's family. He tells us, my mom... I wish you'd known her. I wish she had a chance to know you all. She was special. She told me not long before she died that after she and dad adopted me, she lived in fear 
for almost two years. She lived in fear that someone from the government, someone from the adoption agency was going to show up at the door. I'm sorry, Mrs White, there's been a big mistake. We're going to have to take Brent back, give him to someone else. Mom said, I don't know why I was afraid that was going to happen because I wasn't going to let that happen. No one was going to take you away from me. I would have fought with all my might to keep you because that's how much I love you. Christmas means that the love that God our Father has for you is like that, only it's perfect. It's infinitely stronger. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God the Father so loves you and me that he was willing to sacrifice his only son to restore us to a right relationship with him. He fought to make us his own. He fought. Who did he fight? He fought Satan, the liar, the deceiver, the one who presents a Father Christmas who's totally false. And all the forces of evil that exist in the universe, he fought them by sending his son into enemy territory to live a perfect life, tempted in every way like us, oppressed, despised, rejected, falsely accused, suffering anguish of heart, and finally being crucified. It looked like Jesus was defeated by all this evil. But as he died, the barrier that separated you and me from our heavenly father was removed. And the resurrection proved that he fought and won the battle. Now, if our father loves you like that, do you think he's going to let anything or anyone take you away from him? Do you think he's going to let anything or anyone cause you ultimate harm? As Paul says, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christmas invites you today to receive a new father. Have you done it? John writes, to all who received him, that's Jesus, and the salvation and the restoration that he brings, he gave the right to become children of God. Born not of the will of the man or the will of the flesh, but born of God himself. That's Christmas. And there's no gift like it, is there? To have a new father. I have a special memory of being a dad. When my youngest son said, Dad, would you be my best man? And he called me bro. Hallelujah. That's Christmas. <laughs>